necessary to get us uh, uh, set. We are in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 2. And if you would, would you stand uh, for the reading of God's word? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, be pleased to open our ears and soften our hearts that we might be granted uh, the grace to receive what you have for us here. Lord, uh, grant us the ability to concentrate and to let go all the things past and future that might distract us now. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, Blood and fire and vapor and smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, This Jesus delivered up according to the definitive plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, 
God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day, about 3,000 souls. You may take your seats. I'm not a very sentimental person, but as I've grown older, I've found myself becoming more so. When Our son graduated from high school. His sisters made a banner uh, to celebrate. It was just simple pieces of paper taped together with markers, uh, writing, writing some words of celebration. At the end of that summer, my son went off to college, and I missed him. I'd held on to the banner, and I decided to hang it up in the basement where I exercised so I would see it often because it reminded me of him. It felt a little bit like I had a piece of him still there with me. There are just things that uh, remind us of another uh, person. It's almost like they're a part of another person, and we think that this thing and this person belongs together. Nancy brought to our uh, marriage several pieces of uh, pottery, and... One of them in particular had sat on her dresser for 30 years. And then one day I noticed uh, that it had been shattered. 
And uh, I was very saddened by that. I, I tried to put it together, but as pottery often is, it just shattered in so many little pieces that was impossible. For a time, I looked for something that would sort of resemble uh, it, but I never found anything. Things fall apart. This sad observation is really true of all of life and the whole of the world. The second law of thermodynamics is that things move from order to disorder. And this is our everyday experience, isn't it? If you're a young parent, the room that your child inhabits moves from ordered toys to toys knee-deep. It only takes an hour or so uh, for that to uh, happen. Um, You buy a new home, and before long, the drains are backed up. You seed your lawn, and sure enough, when spring comes, weeds are choking out the grass uh, you just uh, planted. It's easier to uh, foul a beach with oil than to clean it up. And we ourselves are falling apart. Sickness, fatigue, stress, depression, they take their toll. But sometimes with a heavy investment of money, time, expertise, and energy, we can address some of those malignancies. But it's always an uphill battle, isn't it? And human relationships, they're wounded by insensitivity, misunderstandings, anger, unfaithfulness, uh, deceit. And when things fall apart between us, it's much harder to repair. Now, mechanics generally can fix your car. Doctors often uh, can uh, cure one of our illnesses. And dads even sometimes can somehow repair a toy, although that plastic that things are made out of is really hard uh, to repair much of that. The Bible tells us realistically that things fall apart now more than they used to, and why? Things came from God's hand, and they were beautiful and uh, good and whole. But our first parents rebelled against God, and in their rebellion, they introduced decay and futility. Death comes to all of us alike. This is the one uh, doctrine in the Bible that uh, doesn't need any proof. It's evidenced before us uh, Uh, Every day. And with death has come accident, disease, uh, human fickleness, injustice. What can bind all this together? Well, there's a promise of repair. God promised there would be a great day of repair. When that which is really senseless to us and that which is broken beyond repair like the human heart will be healed, uh, injustices will be uh, corrected, will never be touched again uh, by death or disease. The prophets announced this day uh, would come on the last day or the day of the Lord. 
And as Luke recounts the day of Pentecost, he wants us to see the hope of this day. The time of repair that was promised by the prophets has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. Now this repair that comes in the last days comes in two parts. The first part uh, has come when Jesus uh, came to earth the first time. And the second part of it, the finishing of the repair, will take place when he comes back again. We live with repair underway. Repair is now, and then there's repair in the future. And this is a tension we live with. We always perhaps want a bit more of the future present with us now, and it can discourage us. We can be discouraged uh, that, that we're not experiencing more restoration and repair. And Luke wants us to see uh, the hope we can have uh, now, that despite what frustration remains and that the work of repair is not finished, that we can really be encouraged that it's already uh, begun. And Luke, as he records the day of Pentecost, is telling us this as he announces that the very evidence that this repair has begun is in the coming of the Spirit and the Spirit testifying to Jesus and the work of renewal that he's doing. Luke writes about the presence of skeptics and cynics there that day. And in this account, he uh, shows the evidence that in fact these claims are true. It begins this way, 120 of Jesus' followers are all together in one place in a house near the temple courts in Jerusalem. It's the day of Pentecost, one of the feast days. And the Holy Spirit comes, and though he's invisible, his coming is accompanied by three supernatural signs, a sound, a sight, and strange speech. They were all experiences that seemed like they were natural. Familiar wind, fire, and speech. And yet they were from heaven. They were supernatural in origin and character. The noise was not the wind, but it sounded like it. Uh, The sight was not fire, but it resembled it. And the speech in other languages was not ordinary. Luke makes note that the crowd noticed these were Galileans. That means they were folks from the country. They had the inflections that rural people uh, usually have in their speech in almost any place in the world. And here they were speaking languages that they had not learned. Cultured languages in a manner and a way uh, that demonstrated something extraordinary uh, was happening. These were the signs that God had come. These supernatural signs were experienced by many people in Jerusalem that day, and they wondered, what does it uh, mean? And the skeptics and cynics offered an explanation. These people are just drunk. That's what's going on. 
But Peter stands up and says, no, it's the wrong time of day. People get drunk at night when they get uh, drunk. This is instead what Joel himself saw. The last days have arrived. This outpouring of the Spirit that Peter's talking about is an epical event of worldwide significance. And he wants us to see that the crowds who are asking these questions represent the entire world. He emphasizes that when he says, from all over the earth. Now, if you're here and you're skeptical, I can understand. It may sound like hype and not hope to you. The nuclear age. It's probably hyped a little bit, wasn't it? It was the promise of limitless clean energy. But then there came the issue of what do you do with nuclear waste? Nobody wanted it in their backyard. And then there was the threat of nuclear uh, war. And then there was a close call at Three Mile Island and a nightmare in Chernobyl. Maybe it was hyped a bit. Today, 5G, uh, the metaverse, uh, perhaps many forms of green energy are all being in some ways really hyped. They're being cl- what's being claimed for them really exaggerates the hope uh, that they bring, the change that they can bring. But this is not hype. The new era of the spirit uh, uh, has come. It's a unique and unrepeatable event. It's as unrepeatable as the birth of Christ, uh, the death of Christ, uh, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, his enthronement in heaven. From heaven, he sends once for all the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And this day, even though it was once for all, has meaning uh, for people now, uh, for Everyone, it has the possibility of the benefit of his uh, ministry because this is a part of the ongoing work of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ prior to his second coming. The Spirit comes with life. He is the wind. It's the wind that symbolized him because it was the breath of God uh, that was breathed in that gave humanity life. It is the spirit, the wind. Uh, in Hebrew, the word spirit is ruach, it's wind. It is the wind that blew over the, the emptiness, the formlessness, the void of creation and brought forth order and uh, life. And with Pentecost, this new life means that it's possible for us to have intimate and supernatural experience of God. Now, for many people, Christianity is simply something rational. You know, you uh, believe the credible historic witness that Jesus lived and died and was raised from the dead, and you embrace his teachings, and you do the best you can uh, uh, to live your life according to the Bible. But the coming new era of the Spirit tells us there's something uh, more. Each individual had the tongue of fire rest upon them meaning that every individual, as Joel said, received the Spirit 
of God. This is what Jesus uh, promised uh, when he spoke of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. He said, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives within you and he will be uh, with you. Every one of them is filled uh, by uh, God. Everyone receives the experience of knowing God, knowing God's love poured out in their hearts. And as a result, they're filled with joy. The words that they speak in these languages declare the praises of God's wondrous deeds. Their intimacy and joy was seen. It was visible. And it should be the thing that marks the life of every Christ follower. In fact, it's one of the most powerful evidences of the reality of the Spirit and the truth of Christianity. When Christ followers, the church gathers together uh, to worship, we must have both a deep sense of the majesty and the awesomeness of the God we worship, uh, but also uh, the experience in our hearts of intimacy that flows out of joy. We should not have to choose. We shouldn't feel like, well, we're going to choose a careful thought and a majestic view of God, and therefore we can't have intimacy and joy. No, these things belong together. You see them in the letters of Paul. As he opens his letters, he starts with praise. And after writing about wondrous things God has done and deep uh, truths, he routinely breaks into doxology and prayer. He marvels at what God has done. His heart is on a flame uh, with joy and passion for the amazing things that God has done. And the second great evidence that, in fact, this is not hype, but hope is that God is showing here on the day of Pentecost that he is repairing the divisions in humanity. The Spirit is coming and breaking down barriers. The Spirit falls on the 120 uh, who don't speak the praises of God in the Greek language or in Aramaic, which many of the followers of Christ ordinarily spoke. Greek was the English of that day. And all the people there would have under, understood it. But no, they speak in the language of each distinct uh, culture and nation and people group uh, that's there. Why? Well, because the Holy Spirit is revealing that he is reversing what God did at the Tower of Babel. When humanity was united in the Tower of Babel, their collaboration was to create a culture that was hostile and in opposition to God. And so to frustrate uh, their efforts, God divided them with language so they could no longer uh, work together. And really, almost ever since, people have been trying to unite uh, humanity uh, through one effort or uh, another. Uh, whenever that happens, there's inevitably some kind of cultural imperialism that takes place, some sort of imposition on everybody of a single culture. You can see it in Islam. Islam uh, uh, 
impresses onto people an Arab culture and the language. Uh, uh, that's what you have to know. You have to know Arabic uh, to be really a devout Muslim. But the Holy Spirit's doing something very, very different. He's breaking down barriers and creating a new kind of internationalism, not by homogenizing uh, people, not by making everybody share one culture, but having the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, the book of Acts shows us that the church uh, grows as it reaches one diverse culture after uh, another. And in the cosmopolitan cities in the Roman Empire that Luke tells us about, where there's a diversity of, of cultures and people groups, they have a single church. They don't have a church for this group and a church for that group and a church uh, for this group. No, they all came together in the fellowship that the Spirit uh, created. And this has enormous implications uh, for the church. One is, is that the church rightly should seek, is it seeking to spread the gospel to different people groups to learn their language, the language that their heart speaks. They need to hear the gospel in that language and to go to the trouble of learning that language and translating that language so that those people might have the scriptures in that uh, language. And there's several wonderful uh, mission agencies that that's their primary uh, task to do that. And we should never make a people from one culture who are Christ followers feel like they must be a separate church, as if there must be uh, the church of this and the church of that and the church of that. It should never make people feel like that. That's not what the Holy Spirit's seeking uh, to do. We are one church, one with our brothers and sisters who worship in uh, Korean and who may or may not choose to translate it into English so that we might participate. But we need to recognize there are brothers and sisters just as much as an English-speaking uh, congregation uh, is. And thirdly, we need to engage in deep, costly hospitality because God is moving the nations around the world on purpose. And he's brought many of them here, here to the greater uh, metro Washington area. It's probably not possible uh, to live in a neighborhood of any size and not encounter somebody from someplace else in the world today. And when they respond uh, to the gospel, they should be welcome in our church. We should uh, want to and, and do the hard work of seeking to understand and appreciate their culture, the way that they live, the, the distinctiveness. We should honor them and we should respect them. And to insist that they become one of us, to uh, become an American and, and do everything the way we do. Well, that's not respect. And this is the hard part. It's accommodating each other so that we might worship uh, together. When that is visible, then the beauty of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the love 
that Christ uh, has shown us is demonstrated in a way that people can see. People should see when they come among us that God is among us and they should see such love. And these, the New Testament tells us, are the two greatest visible witnesses to the reality of the truth of Christianity. And that Pentecost is not hype, but it is really a hope uh, for what God is doing in the world. There's one other kind of evidence that's here in this story. And it is that God the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus through Peter. Now, Peter uh, uh, spoke that day to his fellow Jews, and Luke summarizes this speech. This speech was much longer than what we have in the Bible. I know it probably seemed like a long time to stand uh, to hear this uh, summary, but it's just the highlights. It's just uh, an outline, as it were. It kind of gives you the main uh, thrust uh, here. And Luke hints at the end that Peter went on quite a while, pressing uh, people uh, to make a decision. We can get to the bottom line. We're not going to walk through all those details. Uh, uh, Jesus, whom you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. That's the bottom line of this sermon. As Christ, he's the Savior. He's the one in whom God's great repair uh, has been affected, secured. And this repair was illustrated in his uh, public earthly ministry. Those healings of the blind, the deaf, the lame, those delivering people from the power of darkness, these were visible pictures of the great repair and all that he had come uh, to accomplish. They affirmed and attested to the claims that he made about himself. Fully secured was this promise of repair through his death and resurrection and ascension. But this repair happens in keeping with God's plan. That plan included the death of the Lord Jesus Christ as well as his resurrection and it comes in two stages and it's understandable really when you think about it if you understand the story of the Bible why it would come in two stages because Adam and Eve in their rebellion experienced death immediately. They died in that day because of their obedience from being alive to God. And then later, that spiritual, and, and it, it uh, rippled out into relational death in their marriage and then in their uh, family, would work itself out in the death of their bodies as they returned to dust. And similarly, the cure comes first to deal with the hidden spiritual source of decay, the deepest reason why things fall apart, the spiritual and relational uh, barriers that exist between us and God. And in the end, all of the brokenness of the world and our brokenness will be completely healed. 
Hmm. You know, the full reversal will take place when God raises us uh, to life from the dead. This Jesus is also Lord, Peter says. He was raised from the dead and exalted to God's right hand, and the Holy Spirit comes because he's Savior and Lord. And the Holy Spirit comes as fire. Now, fire often in the Bible symbolizes and makes visible the presence of God. Uh, It not only radiates light, but fire destroys things. And it's a picture of the consuming holiness of the true and living God. His presence burns away everything that's impure and evil. And so there's a dangerous side uh, to the Holy Spirit. He is so utterly pure that in the presence of uh, human beings, anything that's a compromise with uh, evil, any spiritual uh, uh, pollution is unthinkable uh, to him. And the people, they understand when Peter says he is the Lord and the Christ. They understand in his preaching that they were responsible uh, for his uh, murder. And they ask, what shall we do? They're so uh, convicted, they're so cut to the heart, they cry out. And Peter uh, announces to them grace. And it's really staggering what he says. You murdered God's son, and today God is offering to you his spirit. You've crucified the second person of the Trinity. But today in the gospel, he's offering the third person of the Trinity to you to come and to be with you and to dwell in you. They had thrown God's son out of the vineyard, to use the language of the prophet, wanting themselves to have Uh, what God uh, had given that rightly belonged to Christ. And now he's inviting them to receive God's Spirit, not just into their vineyard, but into their very hearts, to be their undying life, the earnest and guarantee that all that's broken will be repaired. If they will turn uh, and accept their responsibility their betrayal, their lifetimes of betrayals. The gift of the Spirit with intimacy and joy will be theirs if they will be baptized and identified uh, with Jesus as his followers. And he calls them to respond, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Now you are here, you uh, didn't participate in the murder of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have, all of us have, turned away from God. We've turned to our own way. We've uh, betrayed him. Uh, We uh, have resisted him. Uh, We have not believed him. We've used his gifts and not been grateful to him. Save yourself from this present crooked generation. Run and escape for the wrath of God is going to come upon this generation. There is no safety apart uh, from him. Turn to Jesus who's come, he's been weak and he's died to take your sin that you might be received by God. You who are here who have called upon the name of the Lord and you put your trust in him, 
Don't be frustrated that the work of God's repair is partial now, that it's not yet finished. We can take great encouragement as the apostle uh, does as he writes these words. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the unseen things are eternal. In the midst of the fatigue, the suffering, that things fall apart in our lives, we can be confident that the inward renewal and refreshment that the Holy Spirit brings is only the down payment on what he's doing. We can't say just how much renewal and repair is possible in us. More than we've now experienced, I will say to you confidently, and less than being delivered from all the brokenness in this life. And so we should not despair, but we need to fix our eyes because our hope is on the final and fullness of repair. That will sustain us as we live with what God is not yet ready to repair. Let's let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, we thank you for all you've done for us in the pouring out of your spirit. Refresh us today, we pray. Awaken hope within us. And draw those that are skeptical and cynical, those who are, uh, have been hardened towards you to a place of softness, that they might respond to the offer of the gospel. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.